Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, we talk about a topic hands-on with someone that I've touched on many, many times in the past, and especially the past, I guess, year or two. And that's talking about people from outside of esports with significant business experience coming into the industry and what skills, experience, contacts, and business prowess they can bring. This episode is exactly perfect for that. We've got Robin, who's now working at Excel Esports, one of uh, the leading UK esports teams, and he's the ex-marketing director of Adidas. So who better to talk about what it's like to come from the outside to the inside of esports since he's joined up with Excel, they've also picked up a new CEO who came across from competing team Fnatic. They've picked up a slew of other people to work out an Ethereum and signed some really interesting partnerships with some big name brands, specifically ones like BT Sport. So this was an interesting discussion. It's not quite as long as some of the others, but I think it's definitely worth everybody listening to. Enjoy. Let us know what you think and feel free to rate and leave us a review. Thank you. For those of you who have also lost your employment or are looking to skill up, we're trying to help here at Big Esports. We have an esports fundamentals course, which is helping people to understand an entry point into the employment within the esports and gaming market, whether you're coming straight out of college, university, high school, or whether you're trying to transition from another sport. To provide support for all of you, we're offering a pay-as-you-feel model. So you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash education if you've lost your main line of employment and you can't afford to pay right now at all that's perfectly fine we're able to offer it up to you for free you can pay now you can pay later you can choose whatever you want the course is usually 127 dollars aud you can take it now for whatever you feel is appropriate or whatever you're able to afford hopefully this will help a few of you get back on your feet in the short term and also the long term robin we're live how are you i'm good thanks hey it's good to be good to be on and uh, pleasure to be speaking to you for the next uh, few minutes yeah, fantastic. We haven't got you for a super long amount of time, so let's just kick it off as we always do. And can you let everybody know a little bit more about yourself and a bit about your non-traditional entry into the esports market? Yeah, of course. Um, Robin McCammon, I'm the Chief Commercial Officer at XL Esports. Uh, I joined six months ago, so it's all very fresh to me. I came in from, um, well, it was over 20 years with with traditional sports marketing, if you like, coming in after 18 and a, just a bit, almost 19 years at uh, Adidas, the three strikes. Prior to that, I was with uh, with automotive, so with General Motors, looking after a number of their t- uh, their assets as well. So, yeah, big step, uh, moving at pace, and uh, super excited to be in the in the industry, as it were. So, where does the where does the passion or the excitement for esports come from? You did you did you work extensively in the sports space with Adidas in the past, or? Yeah, I was uh, certainly with Adidas. I was mainly football, uh, soccer, uh, so very very traditional sports, but obviously the largest of its kind and um, very exciting. I had a, a few touch points with working together on the FIFA side of things, of course, with EA as well, uh, launching um, a very interesting digital model. I don't know if you saw that come out recently. The game of boot, uh, the tag that goes into the boot and transfers data into the game, and obviously oh, yeah. uh, levels up. So really exciting project to be working on that launched after I'd left Adidas in fact but um yeah across esports um it's not I, I can I can safely say I'm not a a, a gamer per se but uh but certainly kept uh, kept an eye on the uh, on the space as it was growing how does the is there any direct comparisons you can make between the sponsorship market in Adidas or the sponsorship market in general at your previous job in esports in regards to like the percentage of interest in individuals versus teams versus leagues versus tournaments, does it have like a, a similar structure at all? 
Yeah, I think that, I mean, you, you're, you're going to have the same touch points, without a doubt. You're going to have those leagues. Um, certainly the LEC will have its main sponsors that will come on board and, and, and push out campaigns, which are, which are very similar to, uh, you know, a, a Bundesliga or to, to, to the NBA and so forth. Um, mm. in, I imagine that obviously the teams, you know, sort of regionally become more relevant, uh, similar to a lot of the um, probably more regionally relevant uh, football teams. And Man United might have a bigger selling power across across the globe than than obviously just in Manchester. Um, mm. and, and I think the individuals are the next uh, untapped um, space, if you like, because there are definitely opportunities to work with players uh, on personal endorsements and so forth. So, you know, exploring this space is, is very, very exciting, of course. Yeah, and that's that goes you know, perfectly into my next question really is I'm really interested to see the advancement of personal sponsorships. Obviously in gaming, it's super common all the time. You know, any gamer that doesn't have a Steel Series keyboard, whatever from their team will, will pick up a personal Razor sponsorship. But I feel like that's not something that's been common at all in the past with, with athletes. And is that because they haven't chased it? Is that because they haven't wanted to make their own content where now everybody's an Instagram influencer? Like what's the drive behind that? No, I don't think it's for want of trying. I think that the opportunity is there. I think that if you if you look at it uh, in the wider space, of course, and and this is wonderful when you you find out about the endemic brands that operate, of course, within esports and gaming. Um, there's going to be natural fits, and they're they're sort of the easy fix in terms of getting a keyboard or a gaming chair or whatever it is to a player. I think that if you want to call them uh, the easy fits, because they sit naturally in the space. Now, if you if you want to maximize and I don't know, put a clothing brand out on one individual, it becomes harder, of course, because there's there's a there's the ethos and the and the philosophy behind what a, a sports brand might stand for. I can obviously speak quite well to the Adidas side of things. And um historically and until quite recently, you know, esports and certainly professional gamers may not have been seen as athletic. Um, and, you know, certainly having stepped into this space, uh, it's become very clear to me that this is not true at all, you know, and, you know, not just the, the fitness side of it, but the nutrition levels, the sleep patterns and the methods that we put in into place, certainly within Excel, uh, but I'm sure it's across all other organizations as well. Um, so it's not for want of trying. I think that the space is there. I think that it's probably more about getting the eyeballs to take notice on, on the, on the opportunity, if you like. There was a really interesting thing that someone said to me a long time ago who worked in the rugby league space. Um, around sponsorship of teams. And I'd love to get your opinion on this. They said that a lot of brands, in their opinion, are scared to sponsor teams because as much as some people love teams, other people hate teams. As per a league, if you're sponsoring that, you're a little bit more neutral. And that was part of their theory coming into esports as well. They were scared to sponsor a team directly because they didn't want anti-fans as well as they might have rabid mm -hmm. fans too. Yeah, there's, there's one historical, I don't know if it was ever proven, example of uh, Rangers and Celtic, um, where the brand would sponsor both of the teams so that they wouldn't alienate the opposition supporters. So I think there's a bit of truth. That I would say that within, within eSports, certainly what I've noticed is that people tend to take notice of other teams and support other teams as well. So there's the, the not, it's not as hardcore or as targeted loyalty per se, um, but they'll spread across to, to, to one or two organizations. So it won't be a hatred if you like, but, um, but certainly of course you're going to have one preferred team, uh, maybe geographically. And, you know, you, you saw this at the, the League of Legends finals in Paris in November. Everybody in Europe was for G2 because they were the European team. It wasn't. It wasn't just purely G two fans that were in the audience. So I think it's a bit. It's a bit of an easier space to operate in. Um, I think the league model. Um, you've got to identify how the league model can can generate that revenue. Are you just associating with uh, a certain stage of the event? Louis Vuitton obviously put, pushed out something around the final. Is that where you want to be just at the pinnacle, or are you really talking to the to the overall game space? So I think there's some there's learnings across all, and I think that of course you're going to get 
And our association, BT, stems from the fact that they wanted to become a part of Britain's boldest gaming organization. And, you know, we have a big neighbor in, in who sits in London and, you know, they could have probably considered, uh, you know, as an option. Um, but we speak uh, to, to their tone and, and obviously to their to their demographic as well. So there's, there's a lot to be learned there. Yeah, it's definitely along some of the lines that I was thinking, especially around sponsoring a team versus sponsoring an event. I feel like a team is much more of a personable sponsorship, whereas an event is a bit more of a logo slap process. And if you're looking to tell that story, and like you said, you know, attach yourself to a bold team and really have that character behind it, which obviously is in the roots of, of you know, uh, in in the roots of England as a whole with the whole football culture and stuff too, it seems to make sense to me. Yeah, but to, to that point, I mean, even in, in cities, you've got two teams who are very competitive against each other. Would that prevent them buying a potential beer sponsor on a jersey uh, just because it's associated with another team? I'm not sure that's been proven, but I think that, you know, your, your very hardcore fan will take note of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad I got to ask you that. I've been thinking about that for years. It was like, I think it was like two and a half, three years ago, the guy told me that. I've been stewing on it ever since. <laughs> I'm going to have to it's ask amazing, some people. But it, but it isn't, again, I mean, you, you, you'll you'll take note that, you know, having worked with General Motors, there, there was a there was a, a clear interest in, in going very regionally in certain parts of certain countries as well to say, listen, are we going to put out, we were working with Bayern Munich at that time, are you going to put out a red car in Dortmund um, and, and sort of have that association? Because it'll just get, might not get smashed up, but it'll certainly get uh, eyeballs looking mm-hmm. at it the wrong. So you've got to be cautious with it, absolutely. Yeah, that's an interesting one. And another thing you brought up too was about sponsoring two different teams at once. I had this conversation with, I think it was Jeff Pabs from FaZe. I, I posted about that, um, the sponsorship of BMW. You know, they started sponsoring five different teams around yeah. the world and yeah. those teams started promoting each other. So, you know, Fnatic and Cloud9 and, and I think it was Flash Wolves, et cetera. And it was an interesting comment from him saying that it's FaZe's position that they would never promote a competitor ever. And obviously that sits in the same point as I'm sure if you were General Motors, you know, if there was a Lamborghini in the background of a, of a photo, you're not going to post that on social media. I'd be interested to see your take within the esports market. Like, are you guys open to doing co-ops with other teams and promoting them? So I think it's it's a lot more welcoming and we certainly open up that conversation, that dialogue. And if you follow some of our socials, it's very it's very friendly banter and you know, April Fool's joke we've hired in somebody from G2 and, and all of this. And, you know, we'll very openly have that conversation. We're in the middle of a, of a community event at the moment uh, against other team communities. So, I, I you know, FaZe probably takes it one step further than, than we do. I, I don't think that there, there should be a it shouldn't be a bad word to go out there and have a bit of fun and, and potentially promote again to the point of, about g2 reaching the finals of league you know everyone was behind them even though they probably had a different uh, not all of them but a significant number had a different core team that they were supporting especially in france of course mm, yeah and that's a very interesting one too that yeah you know, i've been trying to ask as many people as i can about it because honestly i never thought about it before until he posted it but it was the same, you know, during my time at Corsair, you know, if, you, if you're posting, if you want to post a Corsair PC on social media, it can't possibly have a Razer mouse in the background. Um, you know, it can't possibly have a water cooler that's made by Antec and not Corsair, you know, anything yeah. like, even if it's 99% Corsair products, if it's not 100%, it's not going up. And, you know, we haven't seen that in esports really in the past, you know, like HTC got into the industry through a, you know, co-op sponsorship between Cloud9 and another team whose name escapes me, but yeah, it's that friendliness. Do you think that's going to go away in the future when teams start becoming billion-dollar companies and, and everything starts to mature a bit more? Maybe from a maturity point of view, I think one of the things, again, putting on my Adidas hat, I obviously never wore competitive products, and, and that was that was very core to, to myself. Of course, in, in certain areas, you might find, I don't know, outdoor apparel where that was more suited to, to, to another brand, not to say Adidas doesn't make it, but you might be you know more comfortable. And I think that as we, as it, 
sort of refines a little bit. And as you, you educate some of those players within this space, they'll, they'll take note of that. And that in the background, you might not, you know, if you take a picture of a Ferrari, even though your team might be sponsored by BMW, are you going to think twice about it? You're still going to take a picture of a Ferrari. You might not post it anymore. I think that that's probably, again, where, where it gets down to the, to the common sense factor around partnerships and, and so forth. Um, but that's not to say that we're not already steps ahead. I mean, our team is educated on, on our partner propositions and what they might be wanting to do with us in, in the commercial space around campaigns and so forth. And obviously the respect for it. So um, it's getting there very quickly. So. Yeah, and I'd definitely say even from the peripheral sponsorship side, it's definitely matured over time. You know, in the past, there used to be, you know, Quake players in 2005 that were playing with a SteelSeries mouse with a Razer logo stuck on them, <laughs> like a sticker. And yeah. you know, we've seen other players, but I saw over my time in the space with, you know, contracts starting to propose fines or, you know, not necessarily fines, but discounts off yeah. the, the quarterly payment, you know, of $100, $200 for every instance of a case of, you know, a major a major league and someone's up there using a Razer keyboard instead of a Corsair or something like that too. So, no, yeah, I think you're right. I think as long as the partner is, has the ability to supply exactly what it is to the specs that you that you can operate, then naturally you should be using their product. That's what the partnership is all about. Um, you know, I know I know stories of, of you know competitor players wearing Adidas boots with with another brand on them as well. So it's not it's not new. It's uh, you know it's one of those where everybody knows what their comfort is, and if they prefer a model or a boot, they might be uh, they might be endorsing it. Yeah, yeah, and that that was actually perfectly my next question as well because it's definitely hard. You know, when I was working at Corsair. Like in a first-person shooter, I was a semi-professional Counter-Strike player. Like you're very specific about the mouse you use, and it's very yeah. often you don't want to change your mouse at all. And I mean, I'm I'm the same with shoes right now. Like I I personally wear Adidas NMDs, and I know they fit very well. So I'm very unlikely to change to Nike or or anything like that whatsoever. So yeah, did did you find that a lot? You know, when you're working in Adidas, people wanting to you know not change what products they use, and does that do you see the same thing in esports? With, with any industry, um, I think the car industry was a bit different just given the scale of the purchase. You know, somebody preferred a, a different model and given the thousands that you're spending versus the hundreds. I think that certainly as an employee of Adidas, it became very clear that you were, you know, you were the black sheep if you ever, no, no one would ever wear any competitor product, certainly within the workspace. And you very, very rarely saw anybody wearing anything um, sort of sort of core com competitor outside of the space. Um, I'm three stripes mm. through and through, but that's after 19 years. So I think there's a logic to that. I mean, I think that you do have maybe maybe not the loyalty. I think that's a bit unfair, but I think that people that join nowadays might not have been brought up with that mindset because of the you know uh, the, the branding, the the noise that is around in social space, and 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 you know the way that the next generations have have become accustomed to be being pinged by absolutely everything that is that is online. Uh, so they take note of it probably a little bit more um, openly. Uh, but yeah, I, you you would still see that very very clearly. It's three stripes or, or nothing within the workspace, and and that mentality also shines through in in, in the projects that you work with in in the partners that you know dealing with FIFA on a, on a longer term. They became very wary of it as well, and that's the respect that goes two ways. You know, we're we're endorsing each other's products and promoting them on a on a high level, and that should be the case. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So I guess I wanted to drill into you know exactly what you do, which is the commercialization of esports. So I'd love to learn. From you, what are you bringing into the market that's different than, than someone else who's done, you know, sales and commercialization? Your aspect, what what kind of major learnings or major changes have you made from your start in Excel versus now? Um, I suppose it's more huh, bringing the boomer word. I have a bit of experience um, that that I can bring to the table, of course, in terms of some of the the, the wins and the and the losses um, from from uh, traditional sports. And again, it's about bringing in that mindset with the common sense I was speaking to earlier. I think that you know. 
when, when you scratch the surface of, of esports, professional gaming or gaming as a whole, it's a vast, vast community that you can work with. Um, and I was unaware of the scale of it to be very honest, uh, before before sort of having a serious think about joining. Um, and when you do get, get into the mindset and you see the opportunity that you can bring to um, a very fast growing, but maybe not lacking in structure is unfair, but sort of where you can shape it and refine it a little bit better. That's where I saw the opportunity and, you know, whether those are, those are scalable opportunities, whether those are brand new revenue streams and so forth. I think there's there's a lot that I can bring uh, in terms of the mindset, if you like, also from a, from a sales proposition. So that's where, you know, there's, the, there's that side. The other is, of course, the, the, the content and the marketing side that, uh, that sits under me within Excel and identifying what other opportunities there are for partners, uh, putting your your bt hat on or your HyperX hat uh, and understanding what it is that we can do for them as well and you know that's that's the probably again to the to the maturity point it's it's all there it's probably more just about squeezing the juice out a little bit thicker and uh, and getting that into the into the to the to the to the mindset of of the employees within excel and the staff that we work with yeah and i, I feel like one major understanding that you would bring that maybe you don't even understand that you bring is understanding the sales seasons and the processes as well and that was definitely a learning process for me because for many years throughout esports, it's always been like, okay, we need a sponsor in January. Let's start prospecting in November and send yeah. out messages to people. And it's just not the way that it works in traditional industry. And I think some of it has been the arrogance of esports in the past saying like, well, what's ten, what's, what's $60,000 to McDonald's? That's nothing. It costs multiple million to set up a single franchise without understanding that, well, $60,000 is an employee. That's their whole wage or two employees in, in some cases. And the $60,000 they could be putting not into esports, they could be putting into football, they could put into rugby, they could put into more Facebook ads to generate, you know, more direct sales and, and ROI and things like that too. And I think that was one thing that some of my mentors in this space who come from the traditional sales side of things and traditional TV, that's one thing that they taught me is to kind of respect that process. And you can't, you can't growth hack everything. <laughs> No, absolutely. I think that uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, look, you know, traditional sports or Adidas has a typically has an 18 month uh, product cycle from from conception to, to production and rollout in retail. So you simply mm. cannot be working on the same timelines. Um, but by the same token, of course, you also know that the again, that, that maturity of the sports space and, and partners coming in there. Some of them are just dipping their toe in to understand what it could mean, um, which makes the negotiation of a contract uh, a bit more challenging. Um, you know, it's generally a short term, uh, very not 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 purposefully, but a, a quick fix to begin to understand what what it could actually mean. So you're sort of having very quick turnover or rollover of contracts. BT is a great example of how they've given it that much more thought. Um, they're used to, of course, the, the 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 three, five, six year contracts that you can put into play or you can bring into play, and certainly have a conversation about. And and the more we we sat around the table together, the, the it was actually a very quick understanding that, you know, we could bring a lot of authenticity to them, but also benefit tremendously, of course, from their reach, from the fact that they do sit indirectly very much within this space. And, uh, and there's a lot of things that we can, we can benefit from together. Mm. And, you know, one, one thing I didn't bring up before that I just wrote down for me to bring up is I'm, I'm just always seeing so many similarities between MMA and esports. And I think there's so many things that MMA fighters are learning from esports and the other way around. And the thing that, the thing that really stuck that together to me was BT's work in MMA with people like Darren Till. And, and some other. And I'm seeing so many similarities with MMA fighters now streaming on Twitch all the time. That it, And they're people that are used to getting those personal sponsorships because that's how they have to survive. You know, if they fight in the UFC or Bellator, they're only paid per fight. And a lot of esports players are similar. Often their contracts, they're, played, they're paid per game that they'll play. 
um, and you know, trying to gather those personal sponsorships to survive. Did you ever do any work in, in that kind of space at all, in the MMA space? Not in MMA, no, um, but in the short-term fix in terms of working with players, absolutely. And you see that, I mean, that's that's the brilliance of of this, the, let's just call it sports as, in general, is that everybody's taking notes of the space, whether that's a Twitch or whether that's just a tweet. Uh, everybody knows the value of it. Mm-hmm. Everybody also has fun in that space. You know, there's the, I think you can't lose sight of the fact that this is this is your personality that you're going out and projecting into a space. It's not necessarily the personality that you then have within your four walls at home, um, but it gives people the opportunity to shine, to to become a brand, to to certainly market themselves in a in a way that you know five or six years ago wasn't even possible. So it's really really exciting. Absolutely. Mm, yeah, that, that yeah that definitely makes sense. Is it? Are there any other major structural changes that? that you've placed into Excel if you wanted to change? Thinking like company structure, staff structure, I'm really interested to see if you, you know, kind of came in and, and changed the join up a lot. No, I think, I mean, I've I, I picked up on a very solid foundation and, and Joel and Kieran as the founders of Excel, the two brothers, they, they, they put um, a really, really solid base in and I think it was really just about bringing that maturity, a, a more a mindset of strategy thinking to what we were discussing just a moment ago. Um, you know, we, we have fantastic um, staff members on the content side, on the on the operations side, you know, within gaming itself, um, that knowledge. Um, so we've got a very, very good mix in there. Um, our CEO, Valter, comes across from Fnatic. He joined us uh, the same day that I joined, and he came from mm. FinTech prior to that, so knows a very different space as well. Um, but no, in terms of the structure itself, I suppose it's more about scaling it up now, um, You know, taking a step into other titles. We just recently signed Wolfies uh, for, for our Fortnite uh, audience. A big, big step for us, of course, into the more mainstream of gaming um but yeah so I, I would say that you know as we as we refine there will of course be other opportunities and things to think about whether you want to break down content into into various aspects um you know you look at other very influential um gaming brands you've mentioned a couple you know it's that theirs is very much a different model to ours but can we maybe you know reflect that in some some shape or form to a degree um while still maintaining the very much performance focused uh, philosophy that we're about so yeah i think the biggest change if there was one is definitely about that philosophy of performance bringing in you know that the probably the most successful european coach a performance coach behind the scenes to to really uh, adopt a more let's uh, let's a little unkind but that traditional sports mindset of sleep and wellness and uh, you know the sports psychology behind it versus just putting five people together that might fit and might compete well together um so yeah so it's really mindset more than anything yeah, that makes sense to me. And I guess another, you know, another thing I've been exploring so much recently is company structure and, you know, where, what the history of the employees are and when they sit. And we talked about this a little bit before going live. And a couple of the examples I gave were around phase clan, for, ex- for example, you know, and I said to them in the content, they're almost not an esports team. Yeah. And like you commented beforehand, you can see that by the company structure where the CEO, you know, Lee Trink is from agency land. Their, their chief revenue officer, Jeff Pabst is from Pandora and, and startup and, and sales. Um, you know, their chief uh, or their VP of business development, Clinton Sparks is from the music business, you know, as a, as a producer and a DJ and a manager himself too. Whereas yeah. if you're looking at other companies, say, you know, like yours, like you said, with the CEO from, from fintech, you know, via Fnatic. Um, yourself in that traditional market and, and you know i'm seeing more of these traditional people move across too i'd love to learn from from you can you give us a little bit of a top down from from the ceo throughout the senior management and, and let us know a bit about their backgrounds and how you guys structured yeah. that yeah absolutely i mean but like, as i said about come came from uh, almost five years at Fnatic. um so we joined on the same day and he he leads from a ceo point of view so obviously is the direct connection between board and and which we, we which we all sit comfortably across uh, myself as the uh, as the, the commercial guy if you like that that obviously from a from a 
proposition of sales and marketing uh, run those sides of the business. The business, sorry, we have Joel, who's our chief people officer. So one of the founders, he's moved into the into the much more cultural side of of the business, which is absolutely important and and, and key to mm-hmm. successful rollout, not just of of um, projects and daily business, but obviously again that understanding that you know that culture needs to resonate. Uh, and we've got Kieran as our chief gaming officer. So he moved into that after after um, obviously founding and we set up the new structure. And so he's across all of the game titles, certainly better versed at that than I'll ever be. And that's that's really clear. Um, and so there's there's obviously those touch points and very, very regular dialogue. Um, below that, of course, we have our, our head of marketing who recently joined in from leaders in sports. So again, traditional mindset, uh, a bit more of the structure, a bit more of the data analytics that, that can be employed and, and, and rolled out within within this space. Patrick, is uh, he heads our uh, partnerships uh, model. So again, coming in from traditional sports. Um, so there is a big mix of that when you get to content. There's clearly much more of a uh, of an esports or gaming background within within the staff. Um, so that's and and that's natural. You know, it's you know you can't tell. I don't know someone who's commentated on skiing to commentate on football from one day to the next. That would be foolish. Uh, but there's there's definitely uh, there's also an operations background that is absolutely key within this. Those that manage the players and the team, and of course the players and and the and the coaches themselves who uh, who obviously not isolated but certainly sit within a space uh, on their own under Kieran as the as the chief gaming officer. So it's a good structure. We're very comfortable with it. Um, you know, as with all things, if you identify an area of improvement or an area that uh, that might you know, concern you, you will work on it. But at the moment. It's 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 running very well. Yeah, I'm going to have to get Kieran on for sure. There's been a quote that's been stuck in my head for a long, long time that I heard on a podcast, which is, you know, the founders or the founders don't always make the best CEO in the long run. And it's got to be hard, I think, sometimes to build that baby up from nothing, you know, receive investment from significant investment from Guinevere Capital and, you know, kind of give the reins over to someone else to sit above you. Yeah, I, I think, again, to the point earlier, I... I Comfort is something he can speak to in that regard. Um, but no, I think that he'll be very open about it. And we've had very open conversations. You know, I mean, they, I, when, when first discussing joining Excel, I spoke very clearly to Joel and Kieran and, and to the backers and to Dave, obviously at, uh, at Guinevere. And I think that there's, there's um, a very healthy attitude within Joel and Kieran uh, of the understanding that they are. They, they, they can use the support they need that level and they need that, uh, um, that structure to be able to, to take Excel to where we believe it can be. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me. So, did, you know, your your family and friends, did they think you were crazy leaving 19 years at Adidas to, to go off to an esports startup? Um, no. Uh, when I have, a, I have got a 15, 14 and 12-year-old, all three daughters, uh, you know, so it's something for them to, they, they're not necessarily gamers themselves, but I think getting used to it a little bit in terms of, you know, the obligations around having to wear three stripes. So that fell away quite quickly. And, you know, can I get a pair of these or can I get a pair of these now? That was quite entertaining. Um <laughs> But I think that I think that certainly coming from the space that I did the, the traditional sports, it's always been very clear that esports is an opportunity and it and it's not going away. So you know, certainly professional colleagues have all understood very well why why the, you know why I joined Excel. Um, and I think that you know when it comes to to projects and the motivating factor, you know, there aren't too many spaces that can bring that with the mindset and and the attitude that I could bring into this space itself. So, uh, of course, a couple of people, probably the older generation in that regards, family is always a bit uh, funny you know how come you're moving into this very strange industry isn't it just about shooting and all this kind of stuff but you know there's an educational element there that uh, that i think is is in in any case um, maturing yeah yeah that makes sense and i guess broad broadening out the discussion a little bit i'd love to i'd love to hear your thoughts about the infancy of esports in the uk it's always been a kind of a baffling thing to me that the uk for many years has been so far behind it's obviously catching up now 
you know, with, with movements from people like you, with movements from, you know, League of Legends in the local space and Gfinity and such as well. But I feel like for such a, you know, for, for such a English speaking market with that sort of population and that sort of business expertise, especially say in the fintech and startup space, it's always been baffling to me that the only real esports that's been functioning for many years is Insomnia Land, which is essentially, you know, BYC land party with esports tacked on. It, it, it is evolving. And I think what's, what's amazing is if you look at the scale of gaming as a whole in the UK and the fact that they haven't, you know, no, no one's been able to tap in and really maximize that opportunity. Of course, you've got the likes of Copperbox and, you know, our partners belong who, who offer this space and, and all of this. I think there's great opportunity for us to do this. I think that there's a few things behind the scenes is that you're still very much probably more so than in other, in other countries definitely up against football um, as the absolute sort of that's the beacon that everyone shines a light on. So to, to, to break through that noise is very, very difficult. And this is a, a fantastic example of the last two, three months of, of how people have taken more notice of it. And a lot of brands are obviously turning eyeballs to a space that's always on, um, which even given the summer months, football isn't. And, you know, there's certain Christmas windows and Christmas breaks in, in sport and, and so forth. So you're up against a very, very established rugby football cricket calendar um you know that's then topped off many some months with uh, with major tournaments or the olympics and, and so forth so your, your your elbows are out and, and you're definitely trying to, to, to push your way through but by the same token you've seen it more so now with with the understanding and and the acceptance that this space isn't it's not a taboo anymore and of course again depending on game title or or, or, or event itself some people will still have a have an opinion maybe not not the most rosy um but the opportunities are there you're seeing that with a lot of the, the let's call them smaller events there's still thousands of participants at these events um that are beginning to come through uh, you know and that certainly have been coming through over the last well, since i since i've joined i've seen two or three of them of course it's gone quiet um but yeah, you're right. You know, it's sort of like the, the the sport that no one has really heard of is beginning to, to to rear a little bit, and I think that this is a great opportunity, and fortunately for myself, a great time to be uh, coming on board. Yeah, I think it's a I think that's a decent answer for sure, and it, it's similar to a lot of explanations in Australia as well. You know, Australia is a nation that likes to go outside. It's a very sport heavy nation. Got things like the Australian Football League, you know, which has created many many millionaires in such a small such a small population. Is kind of mind boggling when you talk to people about the size of that. You know. It, brings 100,000 people to the MCG for semifinals, which is crazy. Yeah. You know, a lot of, you know, I think there's, there's there almost no soccer stadiums that can fit 100,000 people in them, for example. So, yeah, it's really yeah. interesting to see. And it's, I was fortunate a few years, well, many years ago to actually go to one of the semifinals at the MCG and it's absolutely right. it's fantastic. And again, I, I can I can understand the, the Australian mindset of being out there very, very sports driven. It's not too different in the UK, um, but it is about sort of somehow breaking through that um, and just simple, easy marketing isn't going to cut it. There needs to be a, a, you know, sort of a product at the end of it. And that's beginning to shine through now. And I think that that's where, where mm. again, you know, the door has been, been cracked open and is, uh, is becoming the opportunity for sure. Now, I feel like a big part of it for me is the storylines and passion are nowhere near as developed in esports as they are in traditional sport. You obviously see all the news all the time of football fanatics, you know, ransacking towns, and but it just shows how passionate they are. And if you look at, if you think about the two most passionate sports in the world, you'd have, in my mind, you'd have to think, you know, Brazilian and English football fans and Indian cricket fans, probably the most passionate of anything in the world. But I don't, I don't see that too much yet within esports. I don't see the same storylines. I don't see the same, you know, wanting to bleed red, bleed blue, you know, these kind of stuff. No, I think I think you're right, though. I would argue that the, the passion is is there. Um, you know, again, I was fortunate to go in November to, to to Paris for the finals of league, and it was absolutely amazing. And I, you know, having gone to Champions League finals and World Cup finals, um, whilst there is a level and an unbelievable noise, if you want to call, it, you know, just blame it on that. Um, fantastic atmospheres. 
you get to a, mm-hmm. an event that I was, I had no expectations for and I was blown away. It was absolutely phenomenal. Again, everybody getting behind the one team or the other team and getting unbelievably vocal about it and, and yet still saying maybe it isn't smashing up cars or windows, but it's absolutely there. So the passion's there. Um, I haven't been to, to too many other of the events yet, um, but it's pretty clear that, you know, I, do, I, I think we're talking to a very similar consumer mind about the passion of esports. I think to your point in terms of those rivalries, as we were discussing earlier, maybe not so much just yet, but those are growing. And I think they, you know, they, they're going to they're going to expand. Yeah, and I think to explain it better for me is I definitely agree with what you're saying, like around the passionate events. But I feel like that passion doesn't carry through as much. I guess you know people don't people don't describe you know changes in Fnatic's roster as a casual as my girlfriend's father would in AFL. You know, he doesn't yeah. play, but he watches the Sydney Swans and his team has for generation. He knows everything. He knows who's going to be out, who's got an injury. He knows who yeah. the starting 16 roster is on the field. He knows what strategies that they should fire their coach, all this kind of stuff. And I don't see, I don't quite see that ongoing passion. And I definitely do see it at events. Even if you go to, you know, Intel Extreme Masters Counter-Strike event and all of the people in the VIP zone who are there purely to conduct business, they're getting into it. They're getting excited. They're getting wrapped up in it. But I'd like to see that happen 24-7, 365. Yeah, I think that probably the, the the closest that you do get is is across our Discord community. So that's obviously much more more of a hardcore uh, space, and and that's where those mm. you know how you want to label them out, our hardcore supporters are definitely sort of much more on the on the trading blows of what the game is about and and, and sharing an opinion. And whilst uh, relatively small, you'll find that even in football, you know, the, the the smallest but most hardcore fans were were very similar. You know, they would always be in their own forum and they would sort of dish dish blows at, at, at each other. So Discord's a great community for us. To be hearing and speaking to our to our fan base um it's not as public you're right um and i think that you know as it were you know we get it we get the studio space probably doesn't lend itself to it just yet in terms of the scale of that uh, the live audiences do but those become geographically a bit more challenging so you know as it evolves without a doubt you're going to see that grow no doubt mm, yeah and so i i posed this question to you um a little bit uh, like just before we started recording so i wanted to lead into that again about you know bringing money into esports so the example I use is I listened to a podcast with uh, Joe Rogan and, and his guest was someone they called the godfather of podcasting. He's known to be the person to basically invent podcasting. And he was talking about how you need to structure your content in your company to unlock real money and not talking about, you know, just a Squarespace sponsorship, not talking about a $20,000 pre-roll for 60 seconds on a YouTube video, but, you know, 10, 20, $30 million multi-year deals that you don't see at all in esports thus far. I'm interested to learn from you. Is there some sort of roadmap or some sort of things that you think the esports industry needs to unlock before we start getting to those kind of conversations with these blue chip companies? Look, the conversations are ongoing. They're not at that scale. That's obvious. And I think it's there's, there's two pieces. One is the educational piece. Um, the Premier League didn't exist in its 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 scale until 20, 25 years ago. And even then, it was very difficult to convince anybody of, of what it could become. And it's obviously gone in leaps and bounds and, and become unbelievably strong, as has Bundesliga, as has La Liga and, and, and so forth. So, you know, you, you give them a hundred years head start uh, and, they've, and they've just about got it right. But I don't believe that it's just simply about the, the, the monetary value. I mean, you, you'll see that a lot of the broadcast content that is being negotiated by by publishers a lot of the the space that is is uh, is under question is is simply an educational piece it's not knowing not knowing the true value uh, to a lot of as you would call them blue chip or, or some of those that are trying to get into the space um mm-hmm. i think that you know our, our example with bt is a great example of two brands getting to know each other 
and and working on a partnership on an association together and that we, we don't stand alone there it's not it's it's nothing new you know you've got a lot of other brands that have stepped into the space and are beginning to take more notice of it not only as a reaction of the times that we're currently in but also generally the opportunity that there is and i don't I'm, i i wouldn't want to sort of put the crystal ball down and say right in five years there's going to be the first 10 million dollar deal but i do see that things are scaling up i do see that a lot of blue chip are taking notice of let's not forget this is absolutely the per- perfect audience for them um they are always on they're always you know very much focused on on titles and individuals so again i think it's it's a difficult one to to unlock um, you know, one door or the other. But I think that, you know, if you if you want to explore those revenue streams, content is one without a doubt. And of course, you've got league revenues that are coming in, you've got content plays. Um, but you have the, the more creative ones, you know, there are brands that want to get into the space and don't necessarily just want to have a content play. You know, they want to they want to mean something to to individuals within the space. And, and I think that this is certainly from an Excel mindset, very key for us to be able to talk about um, the purpose. And again, we're in it, we're in a, in a, in a, in a geographical market where not much of that has been done before so we see a, a very good opportunity about what esports could and should mean you know around the policies of esports you know there's other european markets alone that, that have set pol- policies on a, on a government scale and you know there, there's opportunities there i'm, I'm not going to become a politician for esports but i think there are a lot of things that can be done um to certainly expand uh, the understanding of the space and, and that'll i believe then naturally fold into much more commercial opportunity yeah, and definitely one thing you said um, that I wanted to highlight in there was about the opening of doors and, you know, the educational possibilities. And, you, you know, I'm starting to work a bit with KPMG here in Australia for exactly the same reason. And, you know, some of my mentors in the space, like Andrew Walton in the sports space in Australia, has walked me into, you know, decision makers and directors at Baseball Victoria, at cricket in Australia, at, you know, at basketball uh, and all of these, and golf and, you know, a few other sports as well. And it, it's so much easier. And the thing that I explained to you is, you know, before we started recording was around, um, you know, in esports, we're used to having to punch up all the time. You know, there was a, there was a stage in my career where I was adding forty people a day on LinkedIn and sending the messages, hoping they would pay attention to me. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a breath of fresh air when you can just get an email introduction directly to the general manager of a company, and they'll give you five minutes just because this person yeah. said so. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that I think that, and, and specifically to esports, you know, whenever you do a bit of outreach and whenever you can, you know, it's you know, in the olden days, you'd feel. A, a bit of an idiot sort of sending out sort of your standard template and doing the whole thing. Listen, we're about esports or we're about tennis or we're about golf. And people, you know, it was basically on almost the whim of the day. I, I, I like golf, so I might be interested in this conversation or I like tennis. And, and these days, I think esports is certainly the the marketing mindset and the commercial mindset of, of, of CEOs, of CMOs is, is that much more refined that they are taking notice of it and they're, they're beginning and it's becoming an easier conversation without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, that definitely makes a lot of sense. And I guess that, that segues well into another conversation we're having a lot, which is around case studies and, you know, proof of concepts within esports. So, you know, I've been very vocal in saying, in, I don't know, pretty much every podcast for the last 10 that I've done around, I have literally dozens of very successful case studies within the influencer market. And you could say semi-esports, you know, FaZe Clan's chief revenue officer was on here and said they sold, you know, a million dollars worth of champion merchandise in, in uh, you know, half a day. Um, and went on to sell more. You know, exam. I've got examples of YouTubers being paid seventy five thousand dollars for a single video and driving seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in revenue direct. You know, through through links. I've got examples of other influencers I know who are making five seven hundred thousand dollars a year while living at home with their parents. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for me, as someone who's almost meant to be a shill of the esports space, I just feel very light on in regards to successful esports case studies that can prove either a direct ROI, some sort of business uplift, or, or a positive story. 
Yeah, so so I think the key for us is that whenever we enter into any partner conversation, you know, we've got NeoSurf on board from a credit card point of view, we've got HyperX from a peripherals point of view. How can that absolutely lead the ROI? And that's without a doubt the the, the let's call, let's call it this this the, the evolution of my first six months is understanding you know what does a BT actually want out of this? Is it just eyeballs? You know you, you will get a couple of brands that'll come on board and they'll say, listen, it's just about a brand play, and we're we're happy with that. Um, yeah. I, I I want us to be more refined. Clearly, you know, within Adidas, it was very clear. You know, if you had a partnership, it was out, it was about footwear, or it was about jerseys, or it was about the influencer play, and. You know, and you've got you've got to be ahead of the game there, and I think that it's very key for, you know, in terms of as you've said, whether it's benchmarking or case case studies uh, around what it means. Great example with BT. We know exactly what it is that we're trying to achieve together. There will be it will be a numbers led um, relationship moving forward, and ultimately, again, what we're not going to do is say anybody who is an XL fan is going to automatically get free broadband, but there should be a natural progression of these, these conversations to be able to push that, you know, and in, in jest, you know, we will always talk about BT as being the best and they, and they really are. And that's why, you know, when they come on board, uh, when a HyperX, when a NeoSurf comes on board, it's about identifying exactly that storytelling and what, what something will mean to them in a return of investment. So whether it's a pure financial um, term that's again to be debated and we will have those conversations you know you, you're sitting on a on a on a sponsor branded chair what's the point for them do they just want to get on camera or, do, or is it your job to then ultimately sell another chair um and i think that those are the, those are very much the measurable metrics that we're going into with all of our partners showing the seriousness of what xl as a currently small but very very quickly growing organization can of course offer yeah, and I think you've put it really well, which is, you know, from the outside, it's not always easy to understand exactly why a company is sponsoring a certain team. I've tried to talk about this before. You know, I've been in in meetings where, you know, people have, have directed a brand to sponsor a game just because that game has more prize pool than another. And that's the only reason, you know, and they're not expecting anything out of that. Or explained in the past with some of our clients that we work with, through exactly like what you said, their, their KPI or their ROI is purely views. That's all they care about because they're a market leader. You know, they're massive in that space. They don't need to worry about making direct sales. Or maybe they don't make products that can directly sell to yep. a company. You know, there's the obvious examples of Russian oil companies being very active in the in the football space. They're obviously not directly expecting a, you know, random Manchester fan to go and purchase some of their wholesale oil uh, from Russia. So, yeah, definitely. I think you're right. Yeah, about yeah. It. yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, just to add to that, one of the things that's very key for us is that any of our brands moving forward are going to not, they don't have to fulfill, but we want them to, to also see Excel's vision. And I think that that's, that's quite core is that, you know, certainly within Adidas, if you had an organization, a team, an asset, an individual that didn't sit well within the three stripe ideology, um, you probably wouldn't continue that discussion. And I, and I want to translate that within Excel because there are things that we want to achieve that are going to, you know, certainly make this space. And I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad space, but also to improve the space and, and, and the understanding of it to the, to the wider world, you know, getting people to understand that esports isn't a bad thing is, is a tough challenge still these days. Mm, yeah, that's really true. And I guess another, another trend we're seeing a lot globally, I'd be interested to see whether Excel is exploring this is, is traditional talent coming into this space. So obviously we talked about phase a little bit. They've got an unlimited list of rappers and NBA players involved. We've got, um, you know, people like Shaquille O'Neal invested in certain other teams, Steve Aoki into Rogue, um, Jennifer Lopez into Rogue, you know, people like Ashton Kutcher and Mark Cuban invested into Unicorn. It's obviously not a team, but a company. Um, but I haven't, I feel like I haven't seen too many football players, for example, getting involved in the market. I haven't seen too many baseball players and such as well. I'd be interested to see your thoughts on, you know, some yeah. of the, you know, really leaning on that UK talent. Obviously, the rap and the grime scene is something that's grown significantly over the past five years as well. And there's a lot of footballers that are very popular. 
Absolutely. I mean, you've seen two or three. Gareth Bale has started an esports team re recently. Christian Fuchs also. So there, there are two or three. I think it's really probably about choice at the end of the day. I mean, they might one or the other might not see the opportunity of what you know, whether it's starting your own app or becoming somehow involved in in you know, we'll speak to ourselves. Who would be keen on on joining Excel um, and and ultimately telling our story? I think that there's there's definitely a, a thought process into that. We spoke earlier about it in terms of the music and the cultural scene behind it. The value is absolutely phenomenal, and 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 it mixes very very well. You know, I have regular conversations with our CEO about this. I mean, you know, is, are we going to get into the mod culture as as a, as a selling point for ourselves? So, you know, what what has London done for? My goodness, how, what it has done in the culture space is such an opportunity for us to, uh, to, to to grow from. So, absolutely, I think that you know not just the traditional sports, but culture, music, um, you know, film, even you know, you, James Bond. You know, is you know, there aren't too yeah. many um, iconic uh, brands that have exported so well. Um, you know, and so that, so this is you know, we would love to be the the, the James Bond of, of gaming at some stage. But uh, let's see, watch this space because there's obviously conversations ongoing all over the place. But uh, some some nice nice yeah. fun to be at, absolutely. I'd love to see an Idris Elba and and uh, you know a Skepta from from UK Grime getting into an esports space. And and I guess that's you know that's a lot of the opportunity for you guys, right? Is to really own that UK piece because it seems like there can only be one. Like if you think about YouTubers, it's all about KSI, for example. You know, and if you think about rap, there's there's very few you know grime players that are very big around the world and stuff too. And it seems to make sense if you know if I think UK like gaming YouTuber or, or gamer in general, I don't think of a massive standout. And you know, even for me, a lot of the time, I, I feel like Fnatic is still Sweden in my heart. But that's because of many many years of you know having dominating Counter Strike teams from that region. Yeah. I mean, look, each to their own. You know, I, I, you know, we recently saw um, you know, a couple of brands come out and they'll take their national identity more seriously and and they'll try and speak similar similar tones. But it's an opportunity for us, without a doubt. And you know, again, we spoke about it. Just you know, you're skimming the surface just by talking about London or Britain. But there's so much more to it um, in terms of the opportunity, commercially, but also more importantly, culturally and 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 from a profile point of view. So yeah, things things to be looked at and and are being looked at. That's fantastic. It makes perfect. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. I really want to see a. I mean, we've seen a KSI versus Logan Paul and Jake Paul, and they've even fought in boxing a few times. So, you know, I'm really keen to see that. Um, yeah, bring MMA and, to our league players, please. That just wouldn't work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'd love to see Darren Till, but you know, he's a little bit non-PC. I think for a lot of a lot of brands, yeah. I don't want to touch that guy. He's a bit banter. He's a bit over the over the top. But yeah, it's a really yeah, it's a really interesting development. Yeah, for me to see that. I, and I would love to see, and I've talked about this in really in depth with Clinton Sparks, because this is the one that brought Offset into phase Clinton. And, and I've not seen an investor become as invested outside of just the money in a team as I've seen Offset. You know, he took 40 disadvantaged kids to meet him, to play COD with him, and then he took them to the Atlanta phase um, you know, first kickoff game that they played. You know, he has been at the Phase House multiple times, playing Madden with them, creating content. He's always wearing his Phase chain. There's pictures of him, I think, at New Year's and Cardi B's yelling like "Flash your Phase chain," and he's pulling it out. You know, amongst all the others too. And that's that's something that I really want to see an esports team do because you know I don't see Shaq ever post about NRG. I don't see Steve Aoki ever do a DJ set at at a at a rogue you know welcoming party. I don't see J Lo. I don't see Ashton Kutcher talk about it. Nothing. You know, we've seen from Drake. We've seen one photo and one like Instagram story about a hundred thieves. Like I really want to see more of that cultural crossover. And I think that's part of the reason why Faze are doing well when they've got little yachting and Ben Cousins and Offset nonstop repping. You know that kind of Faze life. 
I think you're right. I think that you, you've got to be true to your word if you're going to get into it. And, you know, within within sports, it's the same. You have a lot of um, core influencer investors getting into the baseballs behind the scenes, into the basketballs behind the scenes. And, you know, they, if they don't show their face, they, they, there might be good reason for it. Who knows? But at the same time, look, you, you know, just, just that one shot or that, that one image, um, you know, you get more traction out of releasing a song in Fortnite than you do, and you might not be an investor. And I think that this is this is a good case study of it. It's somebody who's taken it seriously, not just the game title, the individual as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it can be done right, without a doubt. Oh, and I'm really interested to see if and when Adidas gets into the space. Funnily enough, I, I purchased Adidas NMDs because for many years, the NMD was the shoe of Counter-Strike. If you ever saw CSGO players on stage and before a lot of them made enough money to afford Yeezys, it was always NMDs on stage and that left an imprint on me. So it's going to be really interesting to see when more clothing brands start to try to dethrone Nike, who've, who've really got in there hard, fast and early. They have. I think you've got to do it right. I mean, you've seen that Adidas have got in with Vitality in France. You've seen the Puma, obviously, across Cloud9, and there's there's good there's good collabs there. Um, I think mm-hmm. that you know whether you take a full on league deal like Nike did, um, you want to assess it. You want to make sure that you do it the right way. Um, but yeah, it's it's a very interesting space, and you know, obviously, you know, for us, w- whichever clothing brand, whichever brand as a, as a whole wants to come on board, again, it's to it's to the to the mentality and the philosophy of of what Excel stands for, and so, we, we you know, we will have conversations with with any brand that is that is keen on getting into the gaming space, but it has to make sense. Um, you know, if we don't offer the three stripes anything, then why why get on board? If we don't offer a McDonald's anything, why get on board? I think that you know you can be quite quite open about that. But there's, it, it it's turning, or certainly it has turned. And and again, as I scratch the surface, you see this unbelievable opportunity within the space. Yeah, fantastic. So, mate, where can where can anybody follow or connect with you if they want to have a discussion? And and what's the what's coming up in the immediate future of Excel? Um, you can connect across all my social channels. I'll have to post them probably in response to you to, to this to this podcast because uh, you know when it comes to Twitter handles, I'll uh, you know it's very I'm very very boring. RF McCammon, uh, which is great. So across Twitter as well. Um, look, we've got again we're 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 thinking big at Excel. Uh, we're going to take it step by step. Um, the signing of of Wolfies into uh, into Fortnite is a, is a great you know it's a it's a sign of intent for us and and we're doing it the right way. Uh, we're not going to just jump in feet first. Uh, we take summer split as it comes. We've made a few roster changes and we're very excited about competing. Uh, and hopefully competing in live in front of live audiences very soon. Um, but it's good. It's good. You know, again, across partnerships, across marketing, across the gaming space, we're, we're, we're you know, there's a good, good structure there for us to be, uh, to be taking ourselves upwards and onwards. Yeah, fantastic. Well, mate, thanks so much for coming in. And, and thank you to everyone who's listening, whether it's live on Twitch, LinkedIn, watching the VOD or listening to the audio on the version of the podcast. Obviously, we've got plenty more of these coming. So thanks for listening, everyone. And bye for now. Cheers, Chris. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 